When we talk about the fact that Jesus is God who came, and who came into the world and became like us, the question is, and there's a couple questions I want to approach, but the first one, the, the main one, that, and the title of the message this, way is, this morning is this, why did he become like us? And our text this morning is John, the first chapter, verses 10 through 14. We'll be working in John and a little in First John and a couple other places. Um, so that, that as, as, as the title for our message and as the question that will form our discussion moving forward, why did he become like us? But let me back up again. And let me ask you a more personal question today. And that is this. What are you becoming? What are you becoming? Think about it for, for a moment. I know some of you say, well, I'm becoming, right now I'm becoming bored. <laughs> uh, I'm becoming impatient with, with the guy up here talking at the mic. <laughs> but, but really, in terms of you as a human being, what, what are you becoming? And as we explore the idea that Jesus became like us, we have to consider this question, why did he become like us? So those two questions, kind of hold those in the back of your mind for a bit. Let's look at a, a passage of Scripture from John, uh, John's Gospel, the first chapter, beginning at verse 10. And we have uh, 10 through 14 here. And let's, let's take a moment and read these together, shall we? Are you ready? Yes. Let's read. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we are, only about a week, two and a half weeks away from Christmas, a holiday that celebrates the incarnation of Jesus. And, and that, that process of the incarnation is the process by which, excuse me, process by which um, the living Word of God uh, in the Greek language, he was referred to in John's gospel in, in this chapter as the logos or the word of God. That's a, that's a term that John ascribes to describe the son of God who was eternally present with the father, um, who was and who was with God. The second person of the Trinity, the one who was with God and who was God forever past, he takes upon himself our humanity and becomes one of us. Brenton Manning refers to an ancient term that describes the word becoming flesh. And it was said at a certain time that the Son of God was bodied forth. Bodied forth. So John points out that he was in the world. Uh, the world was made, made by him and through him. And yet, according to John, he remained unrecognized. Isn't that something? Not only that, but he came to the very people that he himself had created and the, the very human race that he had formed from the dust of the earth, the very humanity into whose nostrils he had breathed the breath of life, and that same humanity literally rejected him. But John says here, and it's before us, he says, the word became flesh, and there's this theological 
tug of war that takes place among people because people struggle between Jesus, his humanity versus his divinity. But historic Orthodox biblical Christianity uh, asserts that Jesus, while he remains fully God, becomes completely and fully human in the person of Jesus. He becomes that name Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. And so John says here in verse 14 that the word became flesh and and the literal, the meaning of the Greek there is that he tabernacled among us. Now, let me explain to you um, what that means because a tabernacle, I know sometimes you might have been driving down the street and you saw, you know, a first Baptist tabernacle and it's a building and so we think a tabernacle is some sort of churchy or, or religious building, but a tabernacle, contrary to popular belief, was a temporary and movable uh, building, not a fixed building, right? Right in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was 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 they were able to it was portable. It was kind of like uh, you know a mobile home kind of thing. They could take it with them as they moved about, and uh, so it's it's like this: God in the person of the, the Son having t- tabernacled among us. It's as though God has come literally into our neighborhood. You got that? And so John writes that in the person of Jesus, God has literally pitched his tent among us, and we have beheld his glory, his magnificence, and his splendor. And he describes him in this terms, he describes the glory of the one and only, the Greek word monogenes, which means the only begotten or the, 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 only, the one and only one. And he says he's, he was full of grace and truth. You know, you need both grace and truth. You need grace, but you also need truth. He says he was full of grace. Grace in that he came as the supreme expression of God's love, compassion, and mercy towards sinners like you and me. Grace in that he reaches out to us and extends to us the gift of salvation, a salvation that we don't have to work to earn, that that we receive simply by putting our trust in Jesus. Grace in that he comes among us and receives us as we are, but that same grace is transforming us into who we were ultimately created to become. Grace, and then he says grace and truth. Truth, truth about God, about God's intense hatred for sin and his equally intense love for the people that he created. Jesus shows us, about, shows us the truth about who God is. He shows us what God cares about. Truth about us, truth about our weaknesses, truth about our lostness, truth about uh, 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 what we can become through him. Grace and truth. And John says, we beheld his glory. We saw this. We saw God in the person of Jesus. We saw him up close, face to face, up close and personal in the person of Jesus. Matter of fact, in one of John's other letters in the New Testament, 1 John, John begins with these words. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. My brothers and sisters, let me remind you on this December 8th, 2019, that this is what Christmas is all about. I know Stevie Wonderhead, you know, that's what Christmas means to me, my darling. Talking about choir singing and candy and little children and little. This is what Christmas means to me. 
This is what Christmas is all about. It's about a God who loved us to the extent that he left his high and holy place in heaven and came down to earth and entered into our human experience. It's about, uh, it's, it's, and this is why I, I came to declare to you this morning that no matter what you're faced with, Jesus feels your pain. Jesus has entered into your struggle. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the weaknesses, the challenge, the struggle of being a real person in the real world, a real world with a real sin problem, a real world that is real broken. Jesus understands it because he came and entered into this world and lived among us and lived like us and went through what we go through. And guess what? Jesus overcame, and through him, you and I can overcome as well. I don't know about you, but I think that's some pretty good news this morning. Amen? But here's what I, I want to suggest to you today, and that is that the implications of the incarnation extend beyond merely the realm of sympathy, right? That God, you know, Jesus feels your pain, into the realm of opportunity. Beyond the realm of sympathy, into the realm of opportunity. It's not just that since the Son of God experienced our humanity, he can feel authentically sympathetic towards our plight, and he does. Sympathy and empathy are nice, right? But I think that we realize that sometimes the response, I feel your pain, sometimes although welcomed and appreciated, it's not really quite, it's, it's, it's still inadequate. So the question is, really, why did he become like us? Was it just to feel sorry for us? Was it just to feel sympathy for us? Was it just to say, I know where you're coming from? And I think the answer is found a little further down in chapter 1 of John's Gospel in verses 12 and 13 when he writes this. He's having written about those who have rejected him, those who he came among his own and they didn't recognize him, didn't receive him. He said, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, Jesus didn't come merely to feel our pain, but to heal the sickness of our souls. Amen, somebody. The Word was not made flesh simply to enter into our human experience, but to transform it. God the Son didn't take upon himself our humanity simply to show divine sympathy, but to provide for his creation a divine opportunity. And so John says, to all who receive the Son, he gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. In other words, get this, because this is the core of the of the message this morning. And this is the core meaning of the incarnation. He became like us so that we could become like him. He became like us so that we could become like him. He came all the way down to lift us all the way up. The divine became human so that the human might become divine. Now, God the Father, he's holy, transcendent, as as the old folks said, he's God all by himself. We will never become God because only God is God. And that's what, when we refer to God's holiness, that's what it describes, the fact that God is holy other and he is unique and distinct by himself. And we are not God, we are his creation. But as believers in Christ, 
We have become children of God. We have been empowered to become more and more like our Creator. We've been liberated from the bonds of sin so that we might experience the fullness of life, of the life of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 from the New Living Translation describes this transaction in these terms. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see that? The Son of God who was without sin. The Son of God who was tempted in every way as we are, yet never sinned. The Son of God who fully identifies with our weaknesses. He took our sins upon himself. He became the sin offering on our behalf so that we might in turn receive his righteousness. So this morning, no matter what your past, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, the truth is this, that Christ bore your sin so that you might bear his righteousness. I don't know about you today, but I'm glad that Jesus didn't simply come among us, feel sorry for us, offer a few kind words, a few good platitudes about our condition. I'm glad that he didn't just feel my pain, didn't just see my plight, but he did something about it. He became like us so that we could become like him. I hope you get what I'm saying here. I'm not simply talking about religion this morning. I'm, I'm not just talking about being a nominal Christian. I'm having received the gift of righteousness through Jesus, offering up of himself. We have entered into a process. We have, according to John, been granted the right to become children of God. And so we are in the process of becoming. We have on one hand been, been, been adopted into the family of God, and we are sons and daughters of God, but we are becoming something greater than we were. And so we, we, we discover the answer to the second question. We began with why did he become like us? He became like us so that we could become like him. But the first question I began with, the other one was this, what are you becoming? And, and let me take a moment and show you a way in which I think we may sell ourselves short with regard to the gospel on this point. <clears throat> we spend so much time explaining away the emptiness of our lives in terms of our being only human. And the truth is on one level that we are only human and our humanity is imperfect and imperfect and, and we need to be at peace with that. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? However, and listen to me carefully here, I believe that the gospel suggests to us that while on one hand we are only human, on the other hand, we as Believers in Christ are in the process of becoming more and more like the one who became like us in order that we could become like him. I, I want to say that one more time. I, I be believe that the gospel suggests to us that on one hand, on one hand, yes, while we're, on one hand, we're only human. On the other hand, we as believers in Christ are in the process of becoming more and more like the one who became like us in order that we could become like him. In realization of this, we should, this Christmas season, aspire for more than we are experiencing. We should anticipate that through the union we have experienced with God through Christ that we would grow in our apprehension and experience of what it means to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
I would suggest to you that since we are becoming sons of God, that we should not settle, we should expect to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we are becoming sons and daughters of God, that that becoming began when we received him as our Lord and Savior. If I've got the right to be a son or daughter of God, I don't have to let my life be ruled by sin. I don't have to allow my life to be ruled by bondage, by habits, by, by attitudes, by anger, by bitterness, by resentment, by, by, by regret, by anxiety, or by fear. If I've been given the right to become a child of God, if Christ's righteousness has been credited to me, then I, I can now embrace the possibility that while living in the real world and remaining fully engaged in the human experience and being a real down-to-earth person, not walk, trying to walk on clouds and be all deep and, you know, spiritual. But I can live in the real world and be fully engaged in the human experience. I can at the same time experience the transcendent reality of, of the kingdom, of the rule and reign of God in my life and in the lives of those around me. And while I live my life here on this earth, on this planet, on this fallen planet, on this broken planet, among all the the craziness that's in the world around us, all the the pain and the suffering, the heartache and the grief, I can at the same time uh, set my affections on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Look at this this passage of Scripture in 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what Peter writes to, to his audience. He says this. He says, His divine power, that's God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I know you... Some of y'all get you, get you working on your Christmas list, right? You know what I'm talking about? I know y'all thinking about what you, you gotta, uh, thinking about what you might get, what might be under the tree on, on Christmas morning. You know, we're talking about Christmas presents. Maybe at your job they might be doing a secret Santa thing. I hate secret Santa, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I don't feel like being bothered with secret Santa. I don't want to be nobody's secret Santa. <laughs> but I don't want to get fired. <laughs> Don't want to be a stick in the mud. You know, gifts, Christmas presents, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Y'all, on Black Friday, y'all were, were out there shopping, right? Y'all were, you know, on, on, on Cyber Monday, uh, you, you all were, 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 were shopping. But talk about a Christmas present. Look at this. You see the, the, the gift that's, that, that we've been given in Christ because of the incarnation? He says, his divine power has given us. Here's your present. Everything we need for a godly life through our, through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. God has in Christ given us everything we need. Merry Christmas, somebody. Some of y'all thought I was going to say Merry Christmas, baby. <laughs> Merry Christmas, somebody. <laughs> Turn to the person and say Merry Christmas. Yeah. Or like I told Chrissy, Happy Christmas and Merry New Year. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow, what a, what a gift. Because God is the ultimate giver and Jesus is the ultimate gift and we have been given through our knowledge of him everything we need to, for a godly life, everything we need to survive, everything we need to, to make it through this world, everything we need to deal with the challenges and the, heart, and, and the heartaches and the setbacks that may come our way there. It's all in God. You get what, 
What John says, he says, we beheld his glory. And Peter says that through this glory, his awesomeness, his goodness, he has extended to us great and precious promises by which we are enabled, he says, to participate in the divine nature. That doesn't mean that you become God, but you share in God's nature. And you become more and more like your creator because you were created in his image and that image was marred by sin. Would you dare to participate? I dare you to to allow yourself to receive this gift and to participate in the divine nature. Would you dare to to be fully engaged in that process of becoming a child of God? Would you dare to stand firm in the fact and the reality that you have become the righteousness of God in Christ? Would you dare to to stand in the face of your own weaknesses, of your own adversity, of your your of all the tumultuous winds of, of change and, 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 and madness in the world all around us and to stand on the great and precious promises of God as you through it all become more and more like Jesus and learn more and more to deal with what, you, what you're faced with more and more like Jesus dealt with what he was faced with. I tell you that sometimes errant thoughts pop into my mind and so I was tempted at this point to say what's in your wallet, but that's not. But the question is, what are you becoming? You are becoming. You're becoming a child of God. Yes, in one sense you are, but in another sense. Everything with regard to our faith and our position, our our life in God, there's always the fact of who we are and what we've been called and what we've been designated to be. But there there is the growing up into and the becoming and the walking out and living out of that reality. That's why we say that we're saved. Yeah, but we've been saved. We're being saved, and we will be saved. We've been sanctified. We're being sanctified. We will ultimately be sanctified. You know? there's, a, there's, the, there's the, the positional reality, and there's the experiential reality where we live it out and where it makes a difference in our lives and the lives of people around us. You are becoming. You're in the process of becoming a child of God. So let me ask you this today. Will you give yourself this Christmas, the gift of fully embracing the gift that God has given you and the process of, of, of sonship, the process of becoming a child of God. Will you, will you lift your eyes above the mundane horizon of compromise living? You know what I'm talking about. To this infinite sky of living by his promises and participating in his nature, will you fully embrace the truth that he became like us so that we could become like him. When you are a child of God, a son, a daughter of God, you begin to grasp the fact that your struggles are merely stepping stones to your becoming the person that you're meant to be. And I say this in the name of Jesus to anyone here today. You might be looking at what you've been through, what, uh, the pain that you've felt, the heartache that you've suffered, the loss that you've endured. But listen, those were only stepping stones to what God ultimately wants to bring forth in your life. When you're a child of God, you begin to realize that God's pur- purpose trumps, I, I don't like to use that word anymore, but <laughs> Satan's seemingly powerful but, but factually feeble attempts. First of all, that, that ruined my rhetorical flourish here. Let me back up. Let me back up and read. Because I, I, I like the turn of phrase here. I want, to, I want this turn of phrase. Let, uh, let me start again, Chrissy. 
When you're a child of God, you realize that God's purpose supersedes and overarches Satan's seemingly powerful but factually feeble attempts to derail your progress. When you are a child of God, you fully embrace the righteousness that is yours in Christ and refuse to succumb to condemnations or the accusations of the accuser. When you're a child of God, you refuse to settle for less than God's best in your life, first in your character, in your emotional life, in your relationships. When you're a child of God, you dare to walk by faith and not by sight. And it's all because he became like us so that we could become like him. Merry Christmas to you. Amen. 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 Let's pray.